Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Hope your time with us is enjoyable. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Hey, uh, last week in this service, I trash-talked the Cardinals, and they won. So I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes just trash-talking them. What do you guys think, huh? Huh? So San Francisco 49ers are going to beat them so bad. I should have started that earlier on in the season. I mean, man, alive. Do they even have a chance to get into the playoffs? Okay, let's, let's bow our heads right now and pray, okay? Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Amazing season, but uh, it's funny because I got a couple emails from folks after I trash-talked them. And uh, those people are no, no longer a part of our church. They should never talk to the pastor like that. Okay, oh well. No, they're still here. It was fun, but it'll be interesting. Any uh, San Francisco 49er fans here in the house? Oh, there's a couple. I heard some boos over here. That's pretty harsh. I wasn't asking for uh, Cardinal fans. Man. Okay, let me ask that again. Are there any 49er fans in the house? There's There's one or two? Get out of here right now. Okay, no, you can hang out with us all. Look at this guy with the shirt on back here. Where's the ushers? Throw him out now. Okay, hey, we got more important stuff to deal with here, don't we? We're going to study God's word, and I'm excited that you're here. Rekindle has been our teaching series. We're wrapping it up this morning. We talked about rekindle love, joy, peace. Now we're going to talk about hope. Very appropriate for the, the brand new year as we head into 2014. Can you believe it? 2014. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, there's a great scene that comes right near the beginning. How many traditionally and annually watch that movie? Just because it's a great movie. Right at the front end of the movie, there's a really a great scene uh, where Clarence, the angel second class, is about to get this assignment to go out and help this guy who's in trouble. And uh, the superior says, you've got to go help this guy, George Bailey. And Clarence says, what is it? Is he sick? And I love the response that he gets. No, it's worse than that. He's discouraged. I love that line because discouragement, the lack of hope, can be worse than physical illness. In fact, you can live 40 days without food, just a few days without water, four to six minutes without oxygen, but you can't live a single second without hope. Human beings are unavoidably hope-based creatures. How you live in the present, how you live today is inevitably shaped by what you believe about tomorrow, about your future. You can't avoid it. And I love the word hope in the Bible because it's, it's not like how we use it. We use the word hope and it's, I hope so, kind of, maybe this might happen, maybe it might not happen. Oh, I hope it happens. That's not the hope in the Bible. The word in the Bible for hope is not, I hope so, but I know so. It is joyful, confident expectation. It's like, this is going to happen. You can bank on it. 
And that's, that's what I love about that. God gives us a hope that you can take to the bank. This whole series is really based on the coming of Jesus, celebration of the birth of Jesus, why he came to this world. Matthew twelve twenty one, quoting the prophet Isaiah, says, In his, Jesus' name, in his name, character, people will put their hope. I like what Tim Keller says. He says, the world is a dark place, and yet the coming of Jesus Christ shows us no one and nothing is hopeless. I'm going to share with you a little bit of an ironic metaphor. It's, it's, it really helps me in understanding this idea of hope. And uh, the metaphor is this. Let me give you the metaphor, and I'll tell you why it's ironic for me. The metaphor goes like this. When you have a winning hand, and I think this defines hope for us. When you have a winning hand, you're not uptight or nervous. You just enjoy the game. It's, that's an ironic <laughs> metaphor for me because I was raised in the church. And, uh, and, it, and it seemed, and maybe I just didn't get it, but it seemed in a lot of ways we were, we were known for more of what we were against than what we were for or what we didn't do rather than what we did do. And later on, we came up with kind of a little slogan. It was kind of a silly slogan, but we would say that we don't, we don't uh, drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do. And, you know, this kind of sounds silly, but, uh, but that's what we say. And then, we, of course, you'd add to that, uh, not only do we not do that, but we didn't go to movies, and, uh, and we didn't play cards. I mean, we, we would not play cards. How many grew up playing cards or enjoy playing cards? Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay. You're all going to hell. Yeah. So l- let me pray for you right now. You need to quit that right now. No, it was kind of interesting, but, uh, but that was kind of one of the things. And so that's why I call this kind of an ironic metaphor because we, I didn't start playing cards until later on. And maybe for a lot of different reasons why we didn't play cards because of gambling and all that. My my grandfather, who owned a pool hall there right off of Whiskey Row. You guys know where Whiskey Row is? Yeah, it's right there in Prescott. And it was Cortez, kind of the Cortez Street there. And he had backroom gambling. Maybe maybe that was partly why we didn't play cards. My mom wouldn't let us touch cards or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but there's, you know, it, it was certainly kind of a, a, a bad thing. And later on when we started playing cards, when I played cards... I was not very good at playing cards. I could not have a, I didn't have a poker face. In fact, when I had a good hand, it was like, Ooh, you guys are in big trouble. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, we've seen this before. So, so forget the poker face. I didn't know how to do that. I noticed that a lot of these professional dudes wear sunglasses and they, they maintain the poker face, but uh, I couldn't do that. And, And this metaphor helps me to understand hope. This is hope for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. When you have a winning hand, you're not uptight or nervous. You just enjoy the game. If you have a winning hand, in fact, let me just say this, you and I have the winning hand. We have the winning hand through Jesus Christ. That is amazing. I mean, if you read this and understand what Jesus Christ came to do, oh my goodness. We have the winning hand. And if you indeed have the winning hand in life, you won't have a poker face. You won't have a poker face. You will show it. You will show it in your life. There will be a confidence. There will be a a hope that permeates every aspect of your life. And um, and so I, 
I'm convinced Christians should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. That's where we're headed with our study this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray and then we'll dive into our text. Glorious Father in heaven, we love you. You are amazing in so many different ways. According to Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that many of us have memorized and we've meditated on, we know the plans you have for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. So we pray that as we study your word, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. We want to know you better, God. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which you have called us. As we head into a brand new year, 2014, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take a look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. This is a kind of a primary text we're drawing from. And then there's a number of other verses we're going to be working through. And I'll have you read with me. So what is our winning hand, confident, joyful expectation? Let me read the text. In him, speaking of Jesus, Paul uses that phrase a lot. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. The word inheritance means most treasured possession. If you understand what you have in Jesus, it is a most treasured possession. It is beyond your wildest dreams. The words cannot even describe what he has for us and in store for us and, and knowing him and experiencing him. And he says, having been predestined, According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Take a look at that word predestined. There it is. You didn't believe in predestination? It's right there in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. Just got to deal with it, don't you? And, and that's part of that's the doctrine of predestination. We see it. It's scriptural. And it's all part of God's plan. He's sovereign. So having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who we're the first to, there's the word, hope, joyful, confident expectation, hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, that I would live my life in such a way that people would give praise to the glory. The word glory means weight, significance, importance, that people would go, wow, I want to know the God you know. I see it in your life. I see the hope in your life. And so he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then there it is again. In him, in him, you also, when you, were, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Stop there just for a minute. He's really giving us the pathway into salvation. He's saying, first of all, we need to hear the truth, the truth about the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. And then when we hear that truth, what do we do? We believe, we believe in him. And then immediately we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee or a down payment of our inheritance, there's the word again, inheritance, most treasured possession, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So powerful words, four big ideas that are really part of our, uh, 
our inheritance. I mean, there's many more that you could add to this, but this is, I think this will get us started for the new year. What is our winning hand? What is the confident, joyful expectation? Let me give you a little bit of an understanding of the impact of our expectation. This is how expectation works is that if I were to take you into a room, and before I brought you into this room, I said, hey, this room is a very plush uh, honeymoon suite. And then you walked into the room, and you go, "Ah, I asked you, what do you think? And you go, "Ah, I'm not too impressed. But if I took you into that very same room, and before I took you into that room and said, hey, this is a jail cell, and you walked into the room, you might say, "Hmm, not so bad. It's a matter of expectation, isn't it? Expectation. See, here's what, this is what, uh, what we struggle with is that when our expectations, in fact, we have a lot of unrealistic expectations in America today and we have a lot of unrealistic expectations as it relates to God and God's word. It's important that we align our expectations with God's word. And, but when you have expectations up here really high and then life's experiences come in here somewhere below that, what is this gap called? It's called discouragement. It's called hopelessness. It's called despair. So it's important that we align our expectations with God's word. Otherwise, we're going to be dealing with a lot of disillusionment in life. Most of your disillusionment is probably due to some illusions that you have about God and about life. And maybe it's it's obviously not consistent with what the Bible teaches. And you're not living according to what, what God's word is. And that's one of the reasons why when we take couples through uh, marriage counseling, <laughs> this is always fun because they come in with an idealistic distortion. You guys know what I'm saying when I say idealistic distortion? They got these unrealistic expectations. I mean, they're just, they, they can't even hear us oftentimes when we're talking to them when I'm sitting down and trying to talk to a couple that they're just starry-eyed and thinking, oh, they're just floating around and we're in love. And it's like, hey, guess what? It won't last, Okay. Believe me, dude, and gal, it's going to be hard. In fact, you're going to wonder. There's going to be a time in this marriage relationship you're going to go, what in the heck did I do? This is crazy. But what we try to do is uh, try to bring the expectations down a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute. This is what the Bible says. This is what you should be expecting, and this is what the Bible actually says about marriage relationship. And we, we go into with all kinds of weird ideas, and not just marriage, but parenting. I mean, re- remember when you had that first one? You thought, oh, we just want to have a little born baby in our home. And then after about the 20th night of no sleep, you know, sleep deprivation, you're going, I'm about ready to kill somebody. How are you doing with that new little baby? So it's the same thing. I mean, whether it's be parenting or how the kids turn out or a new job or any number of things, it's important to, to align our lives with the expectation of what the Bible says. Now, listen to me. You got to understand this. There is no way in this book, nowhere in this book that God promises us a painless or problem-free life. In fact, it promises us that it's going to get hard and it's going to be difficult And you're going to wonder sometimes, where are you, God? In fact, these circumstances make no sense whatsoever. He says, yeah, that's that's the life that I'm talking about. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and so we need to prepare for those kind of things. Some of you have already gone through those things. Some of you will go through those difficult times. And the Bible never promises, never promises a painless or problem-free life. But it does promise us what we're going to talk about here, his presence, his power, his purpose, and a place waiting for us. 
There's a verse, Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's, it's interesting that he says it's a tree of life. tree of life is what was in the garden. The tree of life is what we'll find in Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth, where we'll be able to eat from the tree of life. That's pretty amazing. So he's actually saying that, that we get a taste of heaven on earth when we live in the reality of a little bit of what we're going to talk about here. Here's your first fill in the blank. So what is our winning hand, confident, joyful expectation? His presence is walking with me. His presence is walking with me. That's what you can take to the bank. If you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what he says. He says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's his presence. That's the presence of God. Presence of God walking with me. Now, once you fill in the blank, look up here. This is so cool. This is absolutely, this Don't forget this. This is absolutely the best part of the Christian life. His presence walking with us. Oh my goodness sakes alive. You have the very presence of God. And once you've experienced his presence, his absence is unbearable. And it's not like he goes anywhere because we're going to read a text here that says he never leaves us or forsakes us. But I think that we we lose the sense of, of his presence. We lose the reality of his presence due to a lot of things going on in our life. That's why we're going to do this crazy busy series that kicks off next week. I think, I think we have so much hurry and worry and running here and there that we lose a sense of the presence of God in our lives. And that's the best thing about the Christian. We need to slow the pace down. We, we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. We need to go from, from burnout to balance in our life. And I, I believe that if we do that, we learn that. We're going to spend about eight weeks just talking about that. But we're going to learn how. How can I hear God's voice? How can I practice his presence more? How can I be more aware of what he's, what he's wanting to do? In my life, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 are some great verses. Let's read these together and aloud. This should be up on the screen. You also got them in front of you on your notes. You guys ready? This is a great promise from God talking about his presence in our lives. Here we go, nice and loud. One, two, three. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Wow, wow. Amazing verses, his promise. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. And he's talking about really idolatry, love. Love is the number one idol in our society. You can replace that with any number of things. Keep your life free from the love of money. Don't give your deepest affections to money. Give them to God. Find your contentment in him. Why would people do that? Why do we do that with any idol counterfeit God? It's because we believe in the promise of happiness. That's the only reason why we would make money our God is because we we believe, because it promises a measure of happiness. And the way that we break that, we break that promise, the power of sin's promise is always broken by the power of God's promise. Did you notice his promise? 
He says, be content with what you have. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's saying, wow, if you have that, if you have God in your life, you got everything you need and you don't need to be afraid of anything. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what, what happens is that the reason why we don't really experience the sense of his presence is because probably because there's idolatry in our life. There's something that's, that's taken his place. There's something that we've given our heart to more so than we've given it to God. And it begins to crowd, crowd that out, crowd him out in our lives. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. And this is from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Pretty profound stuff. See if you can just kind of follow me as I read. The world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God and the church is famishing for want of his presence. To most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He is a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate. But he remains personally unknown to the individual. For millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. Over against all this cloudy vagueness stands the clear uh, scriptural doctrine that God can be known in personal experience. A loving personality dominates the Bible. But why do the very ransomed children of God know so little of that habitual conscious communion with God which the scriptures seem to offer? The answer is our chronic unbelief. God and the spiritual world are real. But sin has so clouded the lenses of our hearts that we cannot see. The great unseen reality is God. And as we begin to focus upon God, the things of the Spirit will take shape before our inner eyes. Obedience to the Word of Christ will bring an inward revelation of the Godhead. John fourteen twenty one through 23 is what he has here. A new God consciousness will seize upon us and we shall begin to taste and hear and inwardly feel the God who is our life and our all. God will become to us the great all and his presence, the glory and wonder of our lives. Pretty profound. Good stuff. His presence walking with me. Here's the second one, his power working in me. So if I'm walking with him, there's going to be transformation that's going to take place. His power is going to work in my life. Mass confession here. Okay, here we go. This is what we like to do this from time to time here at Desbrees. We'd like to be upfront about our sin. And so just to, just to show you that you're in good company, you're around a lot of other fellow sinners. Yes. And so here's mass confession. How many would say, by show of hands, that you have a hurt habit or hang-up that you would like to overcome? You'd like to overcome? Show of hands? Show of hands? Okay. Okay. Most of you raised your hand. Some of you that didn't raise your hand, all you need to do is talk to those that are closest to you, and I'm sure that they can point a few out. And here's the interesting thing is that the Bible makes it very clear that if we don't think that we have sin, brokenness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're all broken. We all struggle. We all have sin in our lives. In fact, this is what I found is the closer I get to God, the more I recognize that. The more I see my dire condition... But at the same time, the more I am overwhelmed by the magnitude of his provision. And that's what brings the amazing, unspeakable, and glorious joy into my life. 
So what's the promise? Philippians 1, 6. Let's read this together and aloud. You guys ready? Here's what he promises us. So as we walk with him, we've got his presence in our life. His power is available to us to bring some change to our lives, which we all desperately need. And, uh, and this is what he promises. Philippians 1, 6. You guys ready? Let's read nice and loud. Here we go. 1, 2, 3. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's saying, hey, you can take this to the bank. You might get frustrated. You might say, how can I ever get over this, this hurt, this past hurt? How can I ever work through this habit? Oh, my goodness, these crazy hang-ups. You know, I just can't stop this. He will continue to work in your life. He will continue to work in your life. He's promised to continue to work in your life. Don't quit. Don't give up. And, in fact, what does he do? What's the process? So that's the promise. Here's the process, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Maybe you're familiar with these verses, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you have your, that verse in front of you on your notes, I want, to, want you to do a couple things. Notice it says here, first of all, work out your own salvation. So it's not work for your salvation, it's work out. So we already have salvation. You already have salvation. That's been given to you by God's grace. And so he's, what he's saying is you've got to begin to work it out into the specific areas of your life. And notice how he says to do it, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. There's this power working in you, both to will. If you have your notes in front of you, circle the word will, and you can write next to it, desire. So not only does he give us the desire to want to know him, he stirs that up within us. But he also, and to work, circle the word work and put ability. So he gives us the desire and the ability for his good pleasure. Now, I've been talking about this over the last month or so, but let me remind you of this. The essence of the Christian message isn't behave. That's not the essence of the Christian message. Come on, get your act together, behave. What's wrong with you? No, the essence of the Christian message is behold. It's behold, because as you learn to behold the beauty and the glory of Jesus, that's what ultimately transforms your life. Did you notice what he said here? He says, work out your salvation. You got salvation. You got all that you need in Jesus Christ, but do it with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling? Behold. Wow. Unbelievable. Jesus' sacrificial love for me. Oh, my goodness. That's overwhelming. See, and that's what begins to transform your heart. That's, that begins to transform you. That changes you. That will begin to change your behavior. The belief that I must clean up to merit God's presence isn't Christianity. It's his presence by grace through faith in Christ that does the cleaning up. So here's, here's probably one of the most important things I could tell you as we head into 2014, a brand new year. Here's what... What you need to do. I already established the fact that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the best thing about the Christian life is the presence of God walking with me. But, uh, but here's the next important thing is, is his power working in you. And so this is what I would encourage you to do. More than anything, more than you know, losing weight, getting better, more exercise, anything else. I know all those are good, but you'll gain the weight back anyway. And, and, uh, and that gym membership after a couple months, uh, guess what? You'll be canceling it. Maybe, maybe you won't. Maybe you'll stick with it. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, that change 
in taking better care of yourself will come as a result of the transformed heart, beholding. It's not an outside-in, but it's an inside-out kind of transformation, not a moral restrained will, morally restrained will, but a supernaturally transformed heart. And so here's the best thing that you could do in 2014. Here's the best thing that you could do. Make your home in Christ. Make your home in his love and truth, reflecting on it, saturated with it, experiencing it, standing in awe of it, and your life will naturally be more fruitful and amazingly fulfilling. Walk with him, live for him, experience him, know him. Make that the goal of your life. And then in that, you'll begin to learn to apply the truth, the love of truth of God specific to where your heart is most restless. Where are you most restless? What, what stresses you out the most? I'll tell you what, man, if, if it hadn't been for really learning how to behold him, uh, I've made such great progress through the years. I mean, it's taken me a while. It's taken me a while. It's taken me a couple decades, really, in, in some areas of my life. For instance, you know, Nancy and I in our marriage. I mean, I would love to be able to say after the first couple of years, we had it down. Yes. No. Are you kidding? It took us a couple decades to figure this thing out. And still, we still struggle. And if she'd just get her act together, we wouldn't struggle anymore. <laughs> I hope she heard that. She's in the coffee bar right now, and that's a good place for her to be. I'm kidding. Oh, that's bad, huh? She's going to be coming in here and knocking me upside the head. Is what she's going to do. But you know what? We both struggled in so many different ways. I was probably the biggest culprit in our relationship, to be quite honest with you. I really struggled in a lot of different ways. And, and, and I had some my own personal issues that I've continued to work through. And I'm telling you what, by God's grace, as I have begun to behold him more and more, he, he has ravished my heart and has begun to transform my life. And quite frankly, I don't get as stressed out as I used to. There's just a lot of things that just don't stress me out anymore. And what I do, what I found out is that it's through, and this is how I identify if I've really kind of misplaced my identity is through the excessive or inordinate anxiety. Uh, anxiety is a part of our emotional makeup. Uh, anger is part of our emotional makeup, even sadness, depression. But when it becomes excessive, what it is telling me is that I have a counterfeit God that is collapsing. There's something that I've given my heart to that is falling apart before my very eyes. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? So this is what, I mean, that's why he says, keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of anything. Because when you overly attach your heart to anything, and that anything is being threatened, blocked, or lost, then there goes your emotional well-being. But man, when you give your, your heart, not to something that's temporal, but that which is eternal, God... Man, I'll tell you what, it makes a difference in how you respond to all the temporal stuff. It makes all the difference in the world in how you respond to that because you have more of that, that eternal perspective. There is no sin, there is no hurt, habit, or hang-up that is a match for God's redeeming, restoring grace. No matter what you've struggled with, no matter what you've struggled with, there is no sin that you have committed or sin that has been committed against you that is a match for God's redeeming, restoring grace. Galatians 6, 9, it says, Do not grow weary in well-doing, because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So, so hang in there. His power is working in you, but it's in the beholding. It's in the learning to walk with him. That's what ultimately transforms your life. And uh, that's, so that's that. Let's move to the next one. His purpose is working for me. 
So his presence is walking with me, his power is working in me, and his purpose is working for me. Let me ask you this question. How many have a few painful experiences from the past that you're still trying to make sense of? Show of hands, show of hands. Painful experiences. You're just like, ah. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? What does Proverbs 3, 5 say? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do what? Do not lean upon your own understanding. Do not lean upon your own understanding. Listen, you're not going to be able to make sense of it probably on this side of eternity. That's what he's saying. Don't lean upon your own understanding. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he, he will direct your paths. This is another verse that the Bible, that we can take to the bank as it relates to those painful circumstances of your life, those painful events. By the way, if you don't deal with it appropriately, it becomes baggage in your life. It creates all sorts of problems in your relationships and how you do life. Listen, you're going to take some hits. It's a fact. It's going to hurt like heck. It's going to be devastating. But listen to me. You've got to get over it. You've got to move on. You can't stay stuck. He gives us a way out. We've got to believe that he's bigger than those painful circumstances that we faced. I've taken some major hits, but I can't stay there. I can't live there. I've got to move on. I've got to allow God to bring healing to my life. And this is his promise right here, Romans 8, 28. Let's read it together aloud. You guys ready? Here it is. This, this is a different translation, ESV. I, I memorized it in the NIV, so it's a little awkward as I read through it. So if I mess it up for you... Forgive me. So let's see if we can do it here. One, two, three. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Did you notice that? For we know. This is, you need, you need to know this. The, the word know there is not just some, it's intellectually coherent. It's existentially compelling. It's moving. It's stirring. You believe it. You believe it as it relates to the painful events in your life in the past. But notice he goes on. For those who love God, all things. Does, does that include uh, the good things in my life? Yeah, absolutely. How about the bad things? Yeah, that's, that, that fits into the category of all things. How about the ugly things and the painful things? Yeah, that's the all things. All things work together. Individually, individually, some events in life are, wow, they're wonderful. Other events, oh, they're painful. You wonder if you can even get through it. But he's saying they work together. Kind of like the ingredients of chocolate chip cookies. Yum, yum. I mean, if you were to take some of those individual ingredients, you know, like maybe the sugar, that's not so bad. You can't eat too much of that. But then, then the powder and then the, and whatever else goes into cookies, I don't know what goes in there. But there's a whole lot of different ingredients. All I know is I eat them and I like them. Okay? And they're really yummy. But uh, a number of years ago when our kids were all at home, I, one of my sons uh, did the recipe and, and the cookies turned out really, really bad. And we didn't force ourselves to eat them and give him a trophy anyway and say, hey, everything's wonderful and those are great cookies. Hang in there. No, he said, something, those cookies are pathetic, dude. <laughs> they suck. And so let's go back to the recipe and figure out what went down, okay? And so, you know, 
we weren't too concerned about his self-esteem. It wasn't based on his performance. We were hoping that it would be more based on Christ and who, who he is in Christ. And, and so, he, uh, you know, so we helped him kind of work through the recipe. But let me tell you something about the recipe that God's working for your life. He knows it to a T. He knows exactly what you need. He knows everything about you, and he loves you immeasurably, unbelievably. And he's working the recipe, and we'll throw it in the oven. And when it comes out, I'm telling you what, you talk about being a person of, uh, of wisdom and insight and love and, and, and unbelievable. All things work together for good for those who, who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? His purpose is that we would be seasoned people who are madly in love with him, that regardless of what goes down in our life, our lives do what, as it said in our text, to the praise of his glory. People would say, wow, how in the world did they ever get through that? Oh, my goodness, you are a seasoned person. I want to... I want to hang out with you and learn a little bit of your wisdom. How did you get through that? What's going on? Where, you know, how can I get through the issues that I'm dealing with to the praise of his glory? You become a, you didn't live a charmed life. People live a charmed life. Um, they don't, they, you don't want to hang out with them, really. They're, they're a pain in the neck. They're spoiled. Aren't they? People that are spoiled, but man, when you've gone through the ringer, you've gone through difficulties, and God has used that and mixed that in such a way that you have such a, a seasoning and a, and a flavor, and people hang with you, and they go, oh my goodness, I want to know the God that you know. That's, that's the idea there. In, in verse 29, he says, to be conformed in the image of Christ. He wants us to be conformed more like Jesus. Let me ask you this. How does God increase our capacity to experience his presence? How does he narrow the gap in our life? Because we all have this gap, this gap between what we believe and how we behave. Because quite frankly, I mean, I can say that I live for Jesus. I love Jesus until bad things happen in my life. And then how does my reaction to the bad things actually show that I believe that God is in control? So how does he narrow the gap? How does he narrow the gap? How does he increase our capacity to experience more of his presence? How does God do that? This is how he does it. You're not going to like this. Suffering. Difficulties. Pain. But he combines that with, and it's called the uh, it's called the golden triangle, spiritual formation. There's three sides. So you got on one side, you got uh, spiritual disciplines. I mean, you need to come to church. I think coming to church is really an important thing. And, and not only that, guess what? You need small groups. You need to hang out with other Christians. You need to sit across the table from people who love you and will ask you really, really hard questions and force you to go deep into your heart and to begin to work that stuff down deep. Not just where it's just, ah, you know, it's up here in the head. Yeah, I know God's with me. No, no, no. Are you living are you living that way? And so when you hang out with people in smaller groups, that's part of spiritual disciplines. And then when you read the Bible on your own and you pray and you do all those things. So that's one side. The other side would be the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit. The text even said we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But the third side, oh, that's not what we like. It's suffering. He uses suffering through the work of the Holy Spirit to drive, to drive his spirit and the reality of the truths of God deeper into our hearts. And, and his purpose is working, is working for me. And when I begin to realize that more and more, there's, when I begin to 
let go of the painful experiences and, and I've allowed them to begin to shape me and change me. I can respond as we see Joseph respond in Genesis fifty twenty. I mean, he faces his perpetrators. These dudes, his brothers, stripped his clothes off of him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery for 16 to 20 years. You know, what is that about? Is God really in control? And yet God took him from the pit to the palace. He's second in command. His brothers show up. And the brothers think, oh, my goodness, we're in big trouble. This guy's going to nail us. And this is what he says. He says in Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me. So he, he's in touch with reality. You guys really intended to hurt me. But God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God is using all the pain in my life now to save many other people's lives because it's not about me. It's about his glory. It's about the glory of God. And I believe that in Joseph, when you look at his life, and I think you you talk to anybody in this, is that there is no painful event and there's no suffering that would be too much to endure if it indeed brought you a greater experience of his beauty and his glory. I'm convinced of that. That's what he's up to. So that's his purpose. He's, his purpose working in our lives. God is at work purposefully, skillfully, lovingly in the worst of times doing a thousand things that we can't see with our finite minds for our good and his glory. Um, uh, there's a quick, let me just read a quick quote here from you. John Newton, slave trader, amazing grace. He says, if all things are in his hand, If the very hairs of our head are numbered, if every event, great and small, is under the direction of his providence and purpose, and if he has a wise, holy, and gracious end in view to which everything that happens is subordinate and subservient, then we have nothing to do but with patience and humility to follow as he leads and cheerfully to expect a happy issue. How happy are they who can resign all to him, see his hand in every dispensation, and believe that he chooses better for them than they possibly could for themselves. And so therefore, that leads us to the last point here. I believe that the first, the first words uttered from our mouths when we come face to face with our Savior tells us in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve that we will come face to face with him. And we will know as we are fully known And I believe the first words that will be uttered from our mouths is this. Oh, 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 now I see. Oh, my goodness, I had no idea. Now I see. That makes perfect sense. How could I have been so foolish not to trust and love you more? His place is waiting for me. His place is waiting for me. John 14, 1 through 3. Uh, the disciples, their world is about to come unglued. And listen to the tender words of our Savior to them and to us. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Let me ask you this. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? What's the absolutely worst thing that could happen to you in this life? You could die? No, no, no. 
No, that's, that's not the worst thing. Here's the worst thing. The worst thing that you would die without Christ. That's the worst thing. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says it's gain. Philippians chapter 1, verses uh, 21 through 23, it says gain. Better by far. Better by far. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.17, uh, it says this. I mean, imagine you've just gone through the most painful thing you've ever experienced in your life, and I come up to you and said, I wouldn't say this to you. It would, it would be very unkind. But I said, oh, that's light and momentary. No big deal. But yet, that's what Paul is saying. He's not saying to use that on each other as we're going through painful times. We still have to grieve those things and grieve with those that grieve. And, and so we need to work through that. But this is what he's saying. In light of the glory that awaits us. In light of the glory that awaits us, that's light and momentary. Even if you spend 80, 90 years in torment on this planet Earth, he says, that's light and momentary compared to what I have in store for you. I have a place waiting for you. In the uh, couple quotes, when we finished, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, When uh, Samwise Gamgee wakes up, having been rescued from the fires of Mount Doom, and he sees Gandalf still alive, he realizes what has happened. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then, then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? I love that statement. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The whole Bible says that's essentially what Jesus is going to do in the end. We're not going to be taken out of this world into heaven but heaven is going to come down at the end of time to renew this world. Revelation 21 makes that clear. Every tear will be wiped away. In essence, everything sad is going to come untrue. That's what he came to do. Two more quotes. Heaven, Randy Alcorn, great book. Listen to this. This is what he says. Just kind of take a moment and savor these words. We may imagine we want a thousand different things, but God is the one we really long for. His presence brings satisfaction. His absence brings thirst and longing. Our longing for heaven is a longing for God, a longing that involves not only our inner beings, but our bodies as well. Being with God is the heart and soul of heaven. Every other heavenly pleasure will derive from and be secondary to his presence. God's greatest gift to us is and always will be himself. In heaven, the barriers between redeemed and human beings and God will forever be gone. To look into God's eyes will be to see what we've always longed to see. The person who made us for his own good pleasure. Seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the first time. Why? Because not only will we see God, he will be the lens through which we will see everything else. People ourselves and the events of this world. Everything sad will come untrue. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Our Father, once again, you have never promised us a painless or problem-free life, but you did promise us your presence to walk with us so that we could face anything. And you did promise us your power working in us, bringing wholeness, even in a broken world. And you did promise us your purpose, working for our good and your glory, especially in, in suffering, especially in difficulties that just don't make sense. You've also promised 
to prepare a place for us with you for all eternity. May we live with a joyful, confident expectation because of these great and precious promises by your grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for a blessing? Here's the blessing that I would like to give to you. It's Romans 15, 13. Don't forget, new teaching series next week, Crazy Busy, going from burnout to balance. We're going to try to learn how we can apply all of this to our lives. I just think that because of the, the craziness of our lives, we're going to ruthlessly eliminate hurry so that we can experience what we just talked about here in the, in the new year. It's the most important thing that we could do. But Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, joyful, confident expectation in 2014. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, God bless you.